Amen. Guys, would you grab a Bible? If you don't already have one, you can use your phone, hopefully, or some device. Join us tonight as we are in the Gospel of Luke, continuing our study through the the Bible, just chapters at a time. Tonight, half a chapter, because it's a long chapter, but wanting God to just meet us and help and to see that. We invite you guys who are joining us online, the same. Grab hold of a Bible. Open up a device so that you're not just kind of listening, but listening and paying attention and more than that seeing and just all that engaged so that we're hoping that there would be space tonight that God would speak to us in the things that he has for us. So as we aim at that, let's do what we often do. Let's take a moment and just ask God's help. Let's just ask that he would give you and me and all of us just ears to hear from him tonight. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is at work how much we need you. God, I thank you for your word that is alive and powerful. Lord, help us to engage tonight in a way that it, in that power and in that life, speaks into our lives. Anything that's hindering us from hearing, Lord, would you grant help and favor? Would you make it so that we see it and understand it from kind of that large and and just overall just understanding the truth that's laid before us, but then would you penetrate that? Would you take truth and do what you can do so well, and you're the only one that can do it? Would you take it and apply it to each of us specifically so that tonight we'd walk out with what we needed to hear from you and your word just speaking to us? Help, Lord. We ask for that. We ask for your your intervention in that and trust you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God has a plan for every single Christian to be a part of the things that he's doing in this world. I think about how it says it in Peter, if you're reading with us through the Bible in your daily Bible reading, you read it this morning in 1 Peter or sometime today, as he says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, as each and every single Christian has a part to play in the body of Christ, has what the Bible would say would be a spiritual gift, a place to be a part of that. He says to let it just work through us. God's seeking to do that in you. I think about how it would say it in in Ephesians that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That your life is not meant to just be an observer from the outside. You're meant to be a part of what God is doing. He's working on you, in you, and before you to bring your life into an eternal impact. Now, that's exciting, quite honestly. I hope it is to you. It is to me. Just that longing that our lives would count, and we'd be about that. Well, as we gaze into this section in the Gospel of Luke, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's taking and and, and rallying those who are around him, and he's leading them into this place of purpose, into this place of power, and we want to watch that and see what it is. In fact, in this section, we're going to see eight things, eight keys, if you want to think about it this way, that are found in this text that really do help us understand how that should work in each of our lives in serving Him. Now, again, it's going to be kind of an overview. We're doing half a chapter. That doesn't maybe sound like a lot. It's a lot. We're going to fly over some of these things, not being able to dive into all the detail. There's much more for you if you want to get into it on your own. In fact, I found myself thinking about it. 
Oh, a number of years ago, we went through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings, and I just thought I'd go back and see how many you know, messages it took us to work through this section, and it was six messages that took us to work through this section. So, I mean, there's just a bunch more there. So you can even dive into that, but hopefully, even in this kind of overarching place that God would just take and speak into your life and my life, things that would help us understand what that looks like. So let's begin with where it begins in our chapter. Notice with me in verse 1. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Yeah, maybe the first lesson for us is a place of just making sure that when we think about this, we think about trying to figure out what God has for us, we need to follow his leading. Yeah, I hope you kind of caught it, but it let us know. Jesus did it. He's the one that called. He's the one that looked there and looked at those who were going to serve them, and he called his 12 disciples together. He then gave them power. He gave them power to do everything that he had for them to do. And then in verse 2, he sent them. And I like that. He called, he gave, he sent. What I want you to understand is that's true for you. If you're a follower of God here this, mor- this evening, this morning, this evening, there's a sense of just fully understanding that that's true for you, that he's calling, that he's giving power. Oh, it's not always the same power. Not all of us play the same part in the body of Christ, but it's all supernaturally powered, and he sends. I love that, and that's exactly what happens. Let's jump over a couple of verses and notice in verse 6, it says, so they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They do it. I mean, this is the, the part where they engage. Jesus it did all the other work, and now this is the part where they get to go and do that. And I want to give this to you in kind of a simple way this evening. I wonder, maybe, as you're listening to this, maybe here or online, that you already maybe understand some of what that is, of God's intention and purpose for your life. And if you do, great. May this just speak hope and help to you. But I do know that for many Christians, this is a little bit of a struggle trying to figure this out. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? And what does God have for my life? And what actually is my gift? I think you should know. I think there should be some pursuit of that. But I also want to give it to you in the most simple way this evening that maybe the key thought for you is to just simply obey, to to be in a place where you would say yes to God. In fact, I invite you to that tonight. Not talking about your past, not talking about your future. Maybe you understand what God has for you, Maybe you don't, but what if you just told him yes? What if you said, God, whatever you're wanting my life to be, I want, yes. You show me, and I'll do that. You open up that opportunity, you make it, and just in that sense of just saying yes to him. One of the most amazing things is that actually so often becomes the key. Many times we want to have the big perspective, like where is this going, and how does this whole thing work out, which is never the way God guides our lives. I'm just telling you that your life is not meant to just sit on the sidelines. And if you would hear that, then maybe one of the keys is just enough to say, God, would would you show me? And yes, I mean, whatever that looks like, I want to tell you to be willing to obey what he has for your life. That's huge. And if you could just be there that way this evening, I think that would open up incredible doors. It would open up doors into what he has, because I want you to understand, again, so much of this he's doing. He's empowering. He's sending. Maybe seeing it a different way. 
I'm more concerned where you're disobeying something tonight that you know God is telling you to do than you being ignorant of what he has for you to do. I'm more concerned if you know what God's telling you to do and you're like, "Uh uh-uh, you know, I don't want to do it. If you're kind of doing the Jonah, you know, and hey, go to Nineveh, and you're like, I don't want to do it. No, I don't. I'm more concerned for that. If you're honestly here, and I know I'm talking to someone, you're like, oh, Jim, I don't even know what my gift is, and I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing, and it all confuses me. Anytime I start to think about this kind of thing, I find myself in a, in, in a, in a world of confusion, then just tell God yes. Between you and him, say, God, you know, if you'll help me, I mean, if my life is not an accident, if I'm not an extra on the set, if there's actually a part that I'm supposed to be playing in eternity, and you're calling, and you're opening doors, and you're going ahead of me to prepare good works, I just want to say yes. I just invite you to that this evening, and to a place that you would even in ignorance be able to say, God, I want to do that. And I'll tell you this, he's faithful, more faithful than you could ever imagine. Prove him and find that out. He has a plan. He creates opportunities. Which, by the way, there are places, there are things that he doesn't open up. It's kind of interesting. We won't spend much time in it, but keep reading. Verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead. And by some that Elijah had appeared. And by others that he was one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, John I have beheaded. But who is this of whom I hear such things? And so he sought to see him. Herod's a a, a conundrum. I mean, interesting in so many ways. And yet there is this place where he's wanting. I mean, he beheads John the Baptist. He's kind of resisted these things up to this moment. He hears about Jesus, and he's kind of curious about that. But Jesus doesn't send his disciples to him. In fact, Jesus doesn't even meet him. We'll carry this on as we go later into the gospel and we get up to the very day that Jesus is going to the cross. And Herod finally gets an opportunity to see Jesus and Jesus doesn't even speak to him. There's something about both the hardness of where Herod is and there's something sovereign happening in that. But one of the powerful things is understanding that was not a place that God was opening up a door for any or even for Christ. And so one of the great things is just to go, okay, God, you show me where you, you, you open up doors and I'll walk through them. I just, just being willing, just being willing tonight would be amazing. That you would say, okay, if God, if this is your work, if it's really you who is in charge of the world, if it's really you who's in charge of your church, if it's really you who's calling and empowering and sending, then say yes. I mean, that, that really is powerful. In fact, that really is going to encapsulate much of where we are this evening, and we'll come back to that thought before we're done this evening. But Jesus is the one that's sending. So if you're going to be a part of what Jesus is doing in this world, you're going to need to be in a place of following, of saying, okay, God, you lead me into what you have. Then he gives them a few lessons. And here in Luke, they're just encapsulated in really small uh, ways. There's, there's more in the other Gospels, which we won't dive into, but I'm going to give them to you quickly. And the second thing he just shows us is there is this reality that is sometimes put where God guides, God provides. Notice what it says, verse 3. He said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staves, nor bag, nor bread, for, nor money, nor do have, nor have two tunics apiece. He lets them know, I want you to go, but I don't want you to do this in your own power. I don't want you to even provide for yourself before you go. There's a place that he's saying, I want you to be provided for as you do that. And interestingly enough, provision often becomes proof. 
that God getting behind something actually is so often the way that he does that. Lots of ways that he does that. That's part of, you know, in the, in the world and part of, you know, just financially just supporting things. But there is a sense of just recognizing there is something that identifies God's work by the way that he does this. Hudson Taylor said it well in a familiar quote where he simply said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And it's like that. If it's God's work and we're doing what he's telling us to do, and what he, he's the one that supplies that. He's the one that does that. It becomes something that helps us see that he's the one that works that, and it's an amazing thing. And this is why I tell you, there's just something there. Lots we could talk about in that, but if you ever find somebody, you know, like, oh, if you don't come through, we're going to sink. That's always a little bit of a concern. Maybe it needs to sink. You know, there really is a sense of saying, okay, if this is God, if this is God, then we want to see what he does. And, and he just does that in tremendous ways. God's work done his way will never lack his supply. Or again, to use the phrase that sometimes is, is kind of moves through Calvary chapels, I think it was Chuck Smith that maybe even said it first, that says, you know, where God guides, God provides. That if it's him, he's going to be the one that provides for it. And so he tells this to his disciples, hey, I want you to be dependent to see that work through. Then he adds to it in verse 4, whatever house you enter, stay there, and then from there depart. We might say it this way, the grass is not greener, stay. It's just true. Understand this, it's part of human nature that we can doubt, that we can second guess all the time. I mean, I'm sure all of you have done it. You know, you, you buy a house and then you wonder, is that the one I was supposed to buy? I don't know. You know, you do something and you always have this lingering did I make the right choice? And sometimes you have that grass is greener on the other side. Like, well, maybe I should have been go over there. Maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe I should go back over there. And there is something here where he just says, when you get there and a door opens, just stay there. Just stay there. Just that, you know, trust God that in one sense he was at work in that whole place and just stay put. I mean, stay where you're serving. And with that as a kind of a caveat, I'll say till he leads you out of it. Until uh, he leads you out of it or the door closes. I mean, that's always possible. I mean, God does that in our lives. At times we start doing something and then he leads us to a next space. That's good. That's not a bad thing. But if he's not leading you out of it, then there's just something helpful about just saying, you know what, enough. Just you know, bloom where you're planted. Just stay there. And I can only speak to that as, as a way of just telling you that's a, that's a real struggle. I mean, I can think of it you know, we've been at church for 25 years, been here, and there were so many times in that whole time of 25 years where we'd be like, you know what, maybe we're supposed to be somewhere else. Maybe we should go do something else. Maybe, maybe we should plant a church in a different city. Or, and there's something about just coming to this place of saying, you know what, no. I mean, unless God actually leads us from it, you know, quit always, you know, doubting where you are. Just think of this is what he's at work in this. And so Jesus just says, wherever you enter, stay there. Wherever, wherever you just, you get into a city, you just stay there. You stay there and then and, until, you're, until that's done or you leave from that. And it's an incredibly helpful uh, part of ministry of just realizing, you know, to, to not always be in that place of second guessing and, and seeking to move away from it. And honestly, that's just hugely helpful. Maybe more than you realize. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, Jim, I don't even know if that's, I, I don't understand what you're saying as far as ministry goes. Well, it's just really real. That might just mean that you haven't tried, you know, but if you have tried, if you've stepped into a children's ministry or something, and you're like, oh, I don't know, maybe I took the wrong class, maybe I should be doing something different, just stay there until he leads differently. I mean, don't sit there always second-guessing because it undoes where you are. 
So he gives them that. And then he says in verse 5, and whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. I would say it this way. As we think about what's actually there and, and what's there, whenever there's failure, shake it off. I mean, that's what he says, shake off the dust of your, of your feet. Let's just think it through for a moment. Kind of just logically, let's understand this. Failures in serving happen. Times that we try to do something for God and it just goes nowhere. It, something just, it, it doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't, you know, kind of move forward. That's just a part of life. And let's just, again, think this through from a logical sense for a minute. Sometimes it might be our fault. I mean, honestly, I mean, Jesus, you know, kind of gives this to us as a single principle here, but there's no sense that we could ever, well, you know, we did it perfectly, and I don't know why it's totally not my fault that this thing failed. If you've ever been in a sense of a spiritual failure, and I don't know if you have, I mean, maybe many of us have, where you tried something, you tried teaching a Bible study, or you had some thing that you were going to do, it's like you had some great, like, this is going to go this way, and then it just crashes and burns. Nobody shows up. It's just, and you're like, what happened? You know, it might honestly be some of, of, of either your arrogance or your pride or your kind of lack. That's always a part of it. But oftentimes it might just be just the hardness of our world. It is that place where, you know, you're trying and yet this world is incredibly resistant to the gospel. Where Jesus said, you know, there's a narrow road, you know, to, 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 to get into the kingdom of God. And there's this broad road that so many people are on. If you're on that narrow road, it's no surprise that our world is resistant to that. And so sometimes it's just, it's not you necessarily. It's just that the world is hard. And so he pictures the disciples going out. They're preaching the gospel. And they imagine the city that has just zero response. Like nobody's doing that. And Jesus' words to them is, you know, shake it off. I mean, just shake the dust off your feet kind of as a testimony against them. But I would just say it simply even kind of in a broad way. Either way, shake it off. I mean, if it's your failure, if it's others' failures, either way, don't let that define you. Keep moving forward because God's not done with your life. There's not anybody here tonight that God's like, well, you know what? You know, never mind. I thought I was going to use everybody in the world, but not you. You know, you, you're just a problem child. No, if you're still alive, he's still got a plan for your life. And, and so sometimes it might have just been, hey, it didn't work because the people were hard or it might have not have worked because something was missed in you. Then get back to the place of saying, okay, God, you guide me. You show me what you have for me. I know you're not done with my life. You know, I'm not going to be defined by this past failure or this thing that didn't. I'm going to shake that dust off. I'm as a testimony against that. Say, okay, that's, you know, for, for me, them, it didn't work either way but I'm going to move forward. I'm just inviting into that. And I, I you know, kind of have a sense, knowing that this can often be the place, but I have a sense that I'm speaking to somebody. Maybe you're here in this room. Maybe you're on our overflow. Maybe you're watching online. And here's the thing. You did fail. Something crashed and burned. And even to this day, you're not sure if it's your fault or if it was just people being hard. But either way, you just stopped. You're, you, you kind of just said, okay, I'm taking my toys and going home. I don't want to play. You know, I don't, I don't even want to be a part of this because somehow you're still defined by that failure in the past. And what Jesus is giving us is here so powerful. Just shake the dust off. Shake that. Leave it behind. Whatever that is, leave it with God and be able to move forward. Again, it may be something different, but if you'll go back to the point number one and say, okay, God, I'm in. I, I mean, I'm willing. If you're still not done with my life, I'm in. I'm just telling you it's powerful and not to be defined 
by the things that did not go well. Not to be defined by failure is needed because, well, can I say it differently? We're all failures. I mean, there's not anybody here in this room that's like, no, I do everything perfectly. That's me. I mean, I'm just, I mean, God got, he got the best when he picked me. I mean, I'm always on the ball. I'm all, no, you're just not. And the Bible's full of failures. He's full of people that, that, that failed and, and made mistakes. And then God picked them up and kept moving forward with them. And that's the invitation for your life as well. To, to be a part of, of the incredible drama of redemption and grace that is being displayed. And so sometimes, and again, maybe speaking to that one person very specifically, it's time to shake it off. It's time to just shake off the dust of what was the past that you can't go back to and it didn't work and move forward. Move forward into what God has next because he is faithfully moving. He still has a plan. Okay, so Jesus is giving us some incredibly powerful things, things that would be true for the disciples right then and there as they are sent out into the mission field, as he sends them into the cities before he goes. He gives them this very specific guidance, and again, it applies to us. But then the scene continues, and in many ways, the lesson seems like it's still continuing. They go. Again, we already read it, verse 6, they departed, they went through the towns, they're preaching the gospel, things are happening, and then they return. Verse 10, and the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. He took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to a city that is called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who had any need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, send the multitudes away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we're in a deserted place here. This is one of the most amazing miracles. It's the only miracle that outside of the cross, outside of what Jesus did there, is recorded in all four Gospels. And the lessons in it are many, but I want you to just take two of them out of this section. The first is that part of the lesson that is there for us is to seize opportunities. The disciples just served. I mean, you just got to catch that. They just served. They went through towns and towns, and yet now they're done, and they've come back to Jesus, and Jesus has invited them on a retreat. Hey, guys, let's go get away. <laughs> let's go and get away from the crowds, and they start getting away, and the crowds follow. That, you, you need to kind of understand that. So as they start to get away, verse 11, the multitudes knew it. They followed them, and Jesus responds to them. He meets them. Uh, he, he, he begins to, he receives them, he speaks to them about the kingdom of God, he heals those. I mean, Jesus ministers to this crowd that just showed up there. But for the disciples, this was unexpected, this was unwanted, this was undesirable, this was not what they wanted to do. And if you could read all the Gospels together, you'll understand they were not in at all. They, they were literally in a place of thinking, we just don't want to do this. Yet once more, this is massive, this, this incredible miraculous thing that Jesus is about to do is recorded in all four Gospels. It becomes this incredible picture of the way that Jesus does ministry. And it's just kind of funny that they were so just not into being a part of it at this moment. But that has to be part of the lesson, that we need to learn to follow Jesus and seize opportunities. We need to learn to say, okay, this wasn't what I was expecting. This isn't how I thought it would look. But it's, it's just kind of presented itself here, and certainly we're meant to walk in that. 
Think about how uh, Paul would say it in Titus. It says, let our people also learn to maintain good works and to meet emergent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Since we need to be a part of what God is doing, and so there, there's a main, maintenance there. We're just trying hard, but we also just, I mean, something just, boom, there it is. There's something that thrusts itself upon us. Sometimes those are the places that God wants to use us, but let's just be honest. Sometimes those are the places that, that we are very, very resistant. I think about how uh, Solomon would speak about it in Ecclesiastes, where he said, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. It's this kind of proverbial saying that you probably simply understand, but it's in a sense saying if you, if you can find an excuse to not do it, if you're that kind of person that will find any excuse not to do it, you'll never do it. You know, if you're always waiting for the perfect opportunities to, 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 to crop up in your life, then you're going to miss being a part of the things that God is doing because life rarely happens in perfect opportunities. Rarely does it fit everything we want it to be and exactly how we want it to look. And, you know, there we are. I mean, Jesus ex- just steps right into this, and the disciples have to be dragged into it. So certainly one of the lessons is to be able to say, okay, we just need to be a part of that. We need to say, okay, God, I want to have the heart of Christ. I want to be able to seize opportunities that maybe just God puts right in front of me, even when they move me out of my comfort zone. Well, out of that comfort zone, they're now asked. Notice as he gets into it, verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Quick pause, I should probably go back and again just say in verse 12, the day is getting, wearing away and the 12 come to him and they just ask Jesus, hey, you should send them away. That they can go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions. I mean, here they are, they're kind of in this desolate place, they don't have any food, they don't, and they just come to Jesus like, why don't you send them home? <laughs> send them away because we don't have anything. They don't have anything. The day needs to end and we really want to be done with this. And then Jesus just tells them. He says, you give them something to eat in verse 13. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go out and, and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men, plus women, plus children, easily maybe up to eight, 12,000 people perhaps, And he said to the disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they ate and were filled and the 12 baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. This reality becomes one of my most favorite. I mean, honestly, and, and everything I'm going to say this evening, this is part of this whole thing of serving God that it is one that I'm continually finding myself reminded of, and this account specifically. It becomes this incredible picture of what I want to tell you is insufficient sufficiency. Now, I'm using those words out of 2 Corinthians more in a moment, but we just need to understand they really were, and we really are, insufficient to the need. They don't, have any, they don't have any ability to meet the needs of 5,000 men plus women and children. When Jesus kind of inquires how much do they have, they tell them, you know, here we have five loaves and two fish. From the other Gospels, we learn that this is a little boy's lunch. I mean, this is like all they have. I mean, this is like a lunchable. It's like, this is not enough. I mean, we can't feed one person with this. I mean, there's not enough for, I mean, this is not enough for, for a boy that much less People, I mean, we, we are insufficient to meeting this need, and they are insufficient. But when they give it to Jesus, 
he takes the little that they have and he blesses it so that it tells us in verse 17, so they ate and were filled. That word filled is a fascinating word because it has the idea of satiated, like maxed out full, like Thanksgiving kind of full. The kind of thing like you eat is like, I can't eat another bite. I mean, don't put one more piece of food in front of me. I mean, I have, I'm so full. But this all came from a little boy's lunch. And it not only feeds everybody there, they have baskets left over. Jesus is able to bless their little and make it enough for everybody. Paul would say it this way in the verse that I'm kind of referring to in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency comes from God. It's one of my favorite verses. I just want to just just tell you, it's so powerful. He says, here's the thing, we're just not enough. We're not sufficient. In fact, we don't think we could do any of it. We, we're, we come to the conclusion that we're not sufficient to what God would have for us, but He makes us sufficient. He's the one that, that our sufficiency comes from Him, and that's exactly what this account pictures. I just wanted to say it from a very personable way. I'm always aware of this. I mean, if you ask me on a Saturday, if you ask me on a Wednesday afternoon how I feel, it's not uncommon, especially for those who know me. It's like, I feel like a little boy holding his lunch. <laughs> it's like, I just, I mean, that's how I feel. I, I, I'm get, heading towards a time of serving. It's like, God, this is not enough. This is not enough. There's no way this is going to work. If God doesn't supernaturally bless what I've kind of have in my hands, then people are going to leave empty. And I feel it so presently. In fact, it's honestly true. We really are. Real ministry is always this way, so that Paul would say, we are not sufficient of ourselves to think that anything could be of ourselves. Nothing could be more true than this. There's not a sense that this is just um, some false humility, that really we are sufficient, but we're just acting like we're insufficient. No, it's like, really, you guys are. <laughs> really, you're not enough. Really. I mean, like, truly. You have no ability to meet needs, but he's able to do that. He's able to take the little that we have, and he calls us to lean into that, calls us to lean into to his sufficiency and into his power. I wonder if you've discovered this. It really is one of the big lessons in serving God. Sometimes people begin to want to serve God, and they honestly think they are sufficient. Like somehow, like, God, I, I could see you picking me. I, I, could, I, could, I, I have something to offer. And I'm just wanting to tell you, if that's you, we love you. I'm not looking forward to the journey you're on because it often is so incredibly humbling. He did it to Moses. When Moses seems to have a sense of his calling and that he's going to be the deliverer of the children of Israel, Acts 7 tells us he goes out there and, and his own power kills an Egyptian. It's like, okay, and, and, and there's a sense where you think, okay, this is going to take 40 years. This is going to take 40 years for you to finally figure out you're not enough that you can't do it, so that 40 years later, Moses at the burning bush, God begins to call him to come, and Moses is like, nah, I, who am I? I mean, I don't have anything. I don't have any, I, I mean, I, why would you pick me? I mean, I don't, I, I have nothing, and there is this place of God bringing us to that space. The more quickly you can get there, the better. The more quickly you can figure out that that's actually the way this looks, but I'm just going to be honest with you that doesn't make it easy. Believing this, and I believe it. I mean, I literally think through this account probably, well, if it's not every week, it's probably every other week. 
that I just literally think through the picture of, of Jesus looking at the disciples and go, I want you to take care of this. I want you to bless them. And it's like, what? I, I have a little boy's lunch. That's all I got. Now, I know that God can make it sufficient. I, I, I've, I've been doing this for 25 years, but I'm at least going to tell you from my perspective, it's still hard and it's still scary. It's still that place of like, well, you know, it's still not enough. I mean, I know that God can come through, but that doesn't mean that maybe he won't come through and maybe leave me hanging because maybe, maybe somehow I've gotten out of, uh, there's, there's a, a, just a severe and a real knowledge that we're insufficient. Now, I've come to the place that I, I recognize that is a good thing. That it's like, okay, that's a good thing. In fact, so much so that if I'm not there, if I ever feel like, well, I think I got this. I think I have a good message. It's like, oh, I'm so scared. <laughs> like, that's going to go badly. This is going to go badly. But there's this place of coming to this place of understanding, God, could you do this? Now, that makes it so wonderful. Now, maybe again, you're here, and this is a part of your life right now, and you're already doing it, and you would just echo everything I'm saying. But maybe you're honestly here and, and you're not one that's fully stepping into serving God yet and this is part of the problem. Because you're like, well, God, I, I mean, what could I do? I'm so small. I'm so insignificant. I'm not smart. I, I'm not powerful. I'm not persuasive. I mean, God, you have 10 times, you know, billions of people you could pick, millions of people you could pick from besides me. Why would you, because I just... And, and somehow you allow that to press you out of saying yes to God. I just want to tell you, no, that's exactly what God is looking for. And there's never going to be a road that God's inviting you on that isn't going to take you down that road that brings you to an end of yourself and to recognize this incredible, beautiful thing of insufficient sufficiency where you, like Moses, or maybe like Gideon, would be there, and God just, you know, takes Gideon, who says, I'm the smallest in my clan, and then God calls him to serve, and he gets, you know, over 30,000 people that are going to join him, and then God whittles that down to 300, to, to where he could honestly say, God, there's just not enough here, and that's where God does in our lives, and there's something beautiful about recognizing this is the way it's supposed to work, and it's a way that he does that, and when he does it, he blesses people. I'm just going to, again, say it in a different way, that if you ever leave a Sunday or a Wednesday gathering with me, I'm just going to be honest, if you ever leave and you find yourself saying, the Lord met me tonight. <laughs> I mean, the Lord met me in truth or God gave me something and you feel spiritually full, let's you and I just own it right now. It certainly wasn't my fault. All I brought to it was a Lunchable. All I brought to it was a little bitty thing, and if God blesses it, it's always Him. It's always Him so that we can say, God, thank you for, for taking truth and communicating it into a way that our lives are met by you. That's how it works all the time, and yet it's hard. Okay, so let's put that into the realm of it. So we have this place where we're being invited in to serve Jesus, dependent upon Him, walking in His way, seizing opportunities, and this insufficient sufficiency. Well, it's right out of that. So they finish this feeding of the 5,000. They send the crowds away. And then it tells us in verse 18, and it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them saying, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah and others say one of the prophets has risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. 
we get this place that really is a key factor, that it's always drawing us back to the place that it really is all about Jesus. Yeah, these guys have already been serving. They've already been going. They've already been going out to the crowds. They've already been doing this, and now they're finally in this retreat mode. Again, you kind of need to understand that. At verse 10, that's what had happened. They'd finished going throughout the cities and, and preaching the gospel and doing all that, and Jesus had invited them. You know, he t- it said, you know, they'd gone and returned, and they told Jesus all that he'd done, and he took them and went aside privately. They began this journey to a personal retreat, a place that they could get alone and away from the crowds. That's totally been interrupted by the feeding of the 5,000, but now they're back at it. We know from the other Gospels, they're up in Caesarea Philippi, and they're in this kind of retreatish kind of mode. It's just them and Jesus, and then Jesus is praying. They join him. That's an interesting thing, but we'll leave that for now. But he just begins to press in. So who do people really think I am? And they ask, you know, well, you know, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elijah. I mean, just cultural misunderstandings of Christ that were true then, true now. But then he just asks them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers the Christ of God. It's this amazing place. It's this amazing place where he presses that in upon us. And again, Luke's gospel only gives us just a, a small piece of it. Some of you would recognize that, boy, there's a lot more to this account. There's, there's more here. There's, you know, Jesus telling him, hey, you didn't get that except it was from my father. There's the whole get behind me Satan as, as Peter gets on the other side of that. All that's true, but Luke doesn't give us any of that. Instead, he just gives us this one nugget that in one sense stands out that that's always what we're being drawn back to. So who is Jesus? I mean, who, who is this about? And in one sense, it's always that place of getting our eyes back to Jesus, you're, you're, you're the answer. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You're, you're the point. It would maybe sound simple, like you would think, hey, this is a, a given that if we do ministry, certainly we're always going to keep it about Jesus, but if you have done ministry, then you might recognize sometimes that's exactly what happens. We get off tangent. We get focused on what we're doing. Maybe you're teaching a Sunday school class, and it's now all about the kids, and it's all about loving on them. Or maybe you're working in a technical aspect. Maybe you're you know, doing technology, or maybe you're leading worship. Or Sometimes you can just begin to get those in the focus, and sometimes Jesus takes us aside. And interesting enough, it's almost always this place of saying, hey, get your eyes back on Christ. Get your eyes back on, 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 on Him, because it really is He's the answer. He's the Lord. He's the Savior. And that's what was happening in this moment, and it's something that has to happen over and over again, kind of getting ourselves back into true north, getting us back to keep the main thing the main thing. And again, it's, just, it's, a, it's a necessary thing. In fact, I'll say it this way. Is that something God's asking of you right now? Maybe you are serving. Maybe right now you're serving, and the funny thing is you've just lost sight of it, that it really is about Jesus. It's not about misunderstandings and all these. It's about he's, he's the answer to the world. He's the Christ. He's the only answer for mankind. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our ministry. It's not about what. It really is about him. And that powerful reality is constantly one that we need to come back to, a place where he would draw us back to see what that would look like and a place that we would understand that that's what he has for us. Well, as he gives us that, we see it's all about Jesus. That takes us to one more lesson for tonight. And it begins there in verse 21. It says, And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders 
and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Part of this whole thing of serving him and and where he draws us into this place is this place where he's going to invite you and I to take up our cross. Now, there's just a bunch here, much that we don't have time to get into. But let's understand it. It's kind of prefaced with this understanding that that's what Jesus is doing. So you get this whole Caesarea Philippi moment. Who do people think I am? I'm the Christ. I'm the answer for all of mankind. And then Jesus tells them, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to die. We're on our way. We're on our way. We're, we're, we're the Son of Man's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. He's going to be raised the third day. That's the road we're on. We're on this road that that's what I've come to do is to give my life away, to, to die on the cross. And, and Jesus fully understands that. The disciples don't. I mean, again, the other Gospels, we get it because he tells this to the disciples. And this is when Peter speaks up and is like, no way. <laughs> like, that can't happen to you. And Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan. You know, like, no, this, this, this is the road we're on. And that's powerful to understand that's why Jesus had to come. But sometimes we still can disconnect it from our lives. Jesus doesn't. He tells us, hey, this is what I've come to do. And he's inviting us to be a part of it. He says, okay, he says to them all in verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, then you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you want to be on the journey that is to be a part of ministry, if you want to be on the the thing that God has for your life, then guess what? Your course is connected to his. Jesus said, if they treated me this way, don't think they're going to treat you differently. Ministry isn't a place of earthly glory or popularity or power. He says, if you want to follow me, then you're going to have to deny yourself. It has the idea of saying no to yourself. You're going to have to say no to your own selfish desires. You're going to have to say no to the things that are there. If anyone wants to come after me, verse 23, you're going to have to deny yourself and you're going to have to take up your cross daily and follow me. That you're going to have to say no to yourself. You're going to have to say yes to him. Again, I'm going to give it to you in that simple way. What does it mean to take up your cross? Well, ultimately, it is saying yes to him. It's what Jesus did in Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours to be done, God. I haven't come to get what I want out of life. I've come to get to what you have out of life. To take up your cross is ultimately to say, God, yes, even if it's hard, <laughs> even if it's not a road that I want to go down, even if it's suffering, even if it's, if it's not beautiful, if it's not popular, to take up my cross is to say yes to him. And it's something that I need to do daily. It's something that he would call me to and and say that that he would have for our life, and it would be something that we would seek to do daily. How do I give this to you quickly? Sometimes when I say take up the cross, even by itself, it's already a problem because we don't see it that way. The cross has become a piece of jewelry. It's become an icon in our culture. It wasn't when it was written here. The cross was a way to die. It was a horrible, just painful death. And so when he's talking about taking up the cross, he's not saying, boy, I want you to put a little cross on your, on your business card, you know, and I want you to kind of have something beautiful. And, and he's like, I want you to be willing to say, God, I'll lay everything down. I'll suffer if that's, if, if that's the road that we're on, then I'm in that road. I want what you have for my life, no matter where this goes at. Now, it doesn't mean that we could become masochistic or we literally are presenting yourself for death. No, he says, actually, this becomes a choice that you have to do every day. 
This isn't something that you do one time where you're like, okay, I did it. (laughs) I took up my cross one time back in 2009 and now we're good. No, to really follow is like, God, today, I just want to say no to me. And I want to say yes to you, whatever that looks like. Whatever your plan is for my life, whether it be popular or painful, whether it be well accepted or rejected, yes. I mean, it is a place of just saying, God, I want to say yes to you. I want to say yes to your plan. Now, he unpacks that for us and just kind of reasons with us as we might find ourselves pulling back from that, thinking, well, wait a second. (laughs) That's not what I was thinking. I was thinking serving was going to be fun, and I was thinking it was going to be popular. It says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What profit is he of a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. He just kind of just reasons with us. Hey, you pull back from this? That's never going to go well. If you desire to save your life, you're actually going to lose it. If you think, hey, I don't want to lose the things I have in this world, what profit is there? I mean, what if you gain everything this world has as far as money or popularity, and it's over? If you're ashamed of him, then when he comes, then, then he'd be ashamed of us, and he just reasons with us. That's a terrible choice to make. It's a terrible choice to say, okay, well, wait a second. I don't know if I want this. I don't know if I want to go down a road that would say, hey, take up my cross. He reasons with us to say, hey, if you, if you do this, you'll lose it. But then if you choose this, he says, if you'll, if you'll lose your life for his sake, in verse 24, you'll save it. If, you, if you're going to surrender and say, hey, God, uh, yes, I'm in. I'm going to give you me. That gains everything now and in eternity. That draws us into the life that he has for us. And it's a good journey. It's a good journey. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't just right here in this moment say, maybe you're here and you're outside of this, or maybe you're online and you're outside of this. This equally applies to you. God is inviting you into a place of saying yes, of giving your life to him. And and this idea of what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world, but you're destroyed. Or your soul is lost. What would you gain from that? Eternally nothing. But to give your life to Jesus, it gains you everything. It saves your life, and we invite you to that. It's the way you begin this journey, and if that's where you are, we invite you to it. But once more, if you're a Christian, it doesn't stop. It's still that place that you and I are invited into the same place, that we're invited into gaining this, we're invited into walking this, and in one sense, this just brings us back to where we began this evening. Say yes. <laughs> I mean, say yes to him. I mean, this idea of following Jesus' leading and taking up your cross, it, it sums down to this place of just being willing to say, God, yes. But it's not a one-time choice. It's a daily choice, a place where you come and say, I, I want to do this. I want to see God's provision. I'm going to not, you know, get, you know, grass is not always greener on the other side. If I fail, I'm going to keep moving forward, you know, seize opportunities, discover that God works with weak people like me, and he likes us in our weaknesses. Keep my eyes always about Jesus, but to come back to that place of just saying yes. So as we close this evening, I just want to invite you to it. I know this, that 
That's something God would have for every one of us. Because he said, you're going to have to do this daily. You have to take up your cross. You have to deny yourself and say yes to him. So there's not anybody here this evening that's a follower of Jesus that this is not what he has for you. Maybe you're not here, but then it's only to your own hurt. But maybe you could take a step towards it. Maybe you could say, okay, God, you know what? To you, I just want to say yes. Whatever, lead me into the things you have for my life. If my life is not meaningless on the scales of eternity, if I could figure out what that would look like, then it's just a place of being willing to say yes to him. And he's faithful. I think about that verse that we began with there in Ephesians 2. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he goes before us to prepare that we might walk in them. One of the amazing things about that verse is it's all about his faithfulness. Nothing actually in that verse spoke of you. He's working on you. You're his workmanship. He's made you for purpose. He's created you in Christ Jesus for good works, and he's doing that. He's also preparing opportunities, going ahead of you to prepare good works. He's the one that's doing it so that you could walk in them, but he's the one that's doing the heavy lifting. All that really comes in that verse that you and I get to is say, yes, I, I want to walk in God what you would put before me, what you would ask me to do. And that's powerful, and it's worthwhile. And I hope you're there, but if not, I invite you to that place. So I'm going to lead us in prayer, and I hope in this moment of prayer you could do the same thing. Just tell him yes. Father, we think about ministry tonight. We talk about serving you, and I know it's not something that's meant to be for us select few. You said to each and every one of us, you've given us a gift. You've called us in Christ to be a part of your kingdom. That's amazing. Lord, I thank you for the details we've talked through this evening. I pray in those, maybe some specific things, that you needed to press into our lives and call us into being a part of what you have, where you've done that. Press that deeply. That said, Lord, I think about where we began and ended in a sense of just coming and saying yes to you. And so I pray you'd help us to be there. I want to be there. I want to be there and just say, Lord, I want to come to you in a fresh way right now and say no to myself, no to my own selfishness and own pride and, and, and stuff that would mess my life up. And I want to say, God, your will be done, not mine. What you have for my life, show me, and, and in a very simple way, I want to say yes right now, even not knowing what that might be. Because your will is a good will. Your plan is a good plan. Your plan is an eternal thing. It's a saving, wonderful place, and God, that you would draw me and us into that. Would you help us to be there? So I just want to say yes to you. Yes to what you would have for us. And, and just pray that you would bring us to that place of surrender. And you would bring our lives into everything you have for us. We pray for it now. And thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.